good roller coaster. Roller coasters are some of my favorite things to do at theme parks. The more ups and downs and twists and turns they have, the better. My favorite roller coaster at Walt Disney World is called Expedition Everest. And it's great because you start out and you're climbing up Mount Everest. And you get to the top and the track is all busted apart. And so then you go backwards and you end up going backwards through the dark and all these twists and turns. You've got this giant Yeti that's coming at you. It is a blast. But when it comes to life in general, I'm more of a lazy river kind of guy, right? I mean, we, we don't really like all the ups and downs and the twists and turns in life, do we? We like things to kind of be even keel and predictable. Well, Joseph's life was more like a roller coaster. Call it Expedition Egypt. And he had more than his fair share of ups and downs and twists and turns. He went from favored son to betrayed brother. He became a slave in Egypt. And because the Lord was with him and he succeeded at everything he did, he went from being a slave in Potiphar's house to being in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. But that only led to Potiphar's wife trying to seduce him which he resisted daily because he was a man of character and deep faith. So Joseph went from trusted slave to falsely accused sexual predator. And he became a prisoner in the household that he formerly ran. Last Sunday we focused on how Joseph did the right thing, even when it was hard, even when it cost him. And we talked about how he extended God's blessing to all of those who were around him. Joseph's success was due completely to the fact that the Lord was with him. Well, today we're going to continue looking at both of those things, focusing on how God equips us to make the right decisions, to do the right thing, even when we're not really sure what we're doing. When life is twisting and turning, and we're not quite sure what God is up to, how does he equip us to do the next right thing. Okay, so let me make another Disney reference. In the movie Frozen 2, which I have seen a few times, and the soundtrack I've heard more times than I care to admit, because I have a nine-year-old daughter at home, uh, but there's a song towards the end of the movie, and it's sung by Elsa's sister Anna, and she's alone in a dark place, and she's grieving the situation that she's in. I don't want to give any spoilers away. But she sings this song called The Next Right Thing. And I just want to read to you a few of the lyrics. I've seen dark before, but not like this. This is cold. This is empty. This is numb. The life I knew is over. The lights are out. Hello, darkness. I'm ready to succumb. This grief has a gravity. It pulls me down. But a tiny voice whispers in my mind. You were lost. Hope is gone, but you must go on and do the next right thing. And then further in the song, she says, Take a step, step again. It is all that I can do. Uh, sorry, take a step, step again. It is all that I can to do the next right thing. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath. This next step, this next choice is one that I can make. So I'll walk through this night, stumbling blindly toward the light, and do the next right thing. 
I heard that song and I thought, man, that really does describe the life of Joseph. He was in a dark and cold place. He was numb. He felt like all hope was lost. But unlike in this song, Joseph wasn't just blindly stumbling toward the light. He was boldly, courageously walking in faith toward the light of God's kingdom. And he wasn't just listening to some nondescript voice in his head. He was listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that should be true for everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. We should all be following the leading of our Master and our King and walking toward His light. But the question maybe you're asking is, how do I know what the next right thing is? How do I pick myself up from the pit of despair, from the road of betrayal, from the prison of unjust treatment, and move forward in faith and obedience? Well, we have to trust in the providential presence of God Trust our lives to Him as He equips us to do the next right thing. And in today's story, we see those different ways He equips us. First, He equips us to endure injustice. Let's pick up the story, a little bit of review from last week. Let's start in chapter 39, verse 20. Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So here we see, once again, God is at work behind the scenes. He hasn't forgotten Joseph. He's not turned his back on Joseph. Uh, It's interesting in this passage where it talks about Potiphar in verse 19. It says, Potiphar burned with anger when he heard his wife talk about, this is how your slave has treated me. And I have to ask myself, was Potiphar burning with anger at Joseph or at his wife? Because he knew that Joseph was a trustworthy servant. That's why he put Joseph in charge of everything. That's why he didn't have to concern himself with anything but what he ate and drank. Because Joseph was trustworthy. Perhaps Potiphar knew his wife's tendencies. And perhaps the anger was the fact that Potiphar was in a rough spot here. His wife had accused his chief slave of something that really reflected on his personal honor. So in order to save face with his wife, with his other servants, and certainly his reputation in Pharaoh's court, Potiphar had to act, even though he really didn't want to do anything to Joseph. So what did Potiphar do? Well, you have to kind of read a little bit here to understand the situation. He basically put Joseph under house arrest. Look at chapter 40, verses 3 and 4. We'll get there in a little bit, but if you look at that, it says that the chief cupbearer and baker were put in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Now, this captain of the guard who assigned these prisoners to Joseph, who was that captain of the guard? It was Potiphar. That was what Potiphar was. So Potiphar had to do something to save face, but he he wanted to look after Joseph, so he kept him close, and he basically put him under house arrest there in his own compound. The word for prison here in the Hebrew is literally round house. So think of like a a tower. 
And that's basically where he was put. And the, the Hebrew word for warden can actually mean official, commander, officer. So when you read this story, don't think Shawshank Redemption. All right, that's not what's happening here. Joseph's situation is far more like Paul in the book of Acts when he was under house arrest in Herod's palace in Caesarea Maritima. So that's the kind of situation Joseph is in. So it's not as bad as maybe what you're picturing, but still Joseph has been falsely accused. He has been stripped of his robes, his responsibility, his respect, and now he's being treated like a prisoner and a sexual predator. Yet God equipped Joseph to endure this injustice. As he works hard to prove himself that, that he is just as trustworthy as a prisoner as he was as the, the chief slave in the household. And certainly, with Potiphar's blessing, if not his prompting, this prison commander now puts Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. So while making the best of a bad situation, God has helped Joseph endure that injustice. But the second thing that God equips him to do, and he equips us to do, is to excel in doing good. Let's look at chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, that's Potiphar, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. And Potiphar assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now, in this part of the story here, we see that Potiphar has assigned the baker and the cupbearer to Joseph's care, obviously because he still trusted Joseph. He knew that Joseph would look after these royal officials. Now, again, when you read this, don't think of a, a butler or a guy in a chef's hat. Okay, these were the chief bakers. So this is the guy who oversees the staff responsible for feeding Pharaoh. Okay, he's the one who's planning the menus. He's the one that's making sure that all of the, the parties and the, and the, and the banquets are, are carried off well. He's, he's more of a delegate than anything. And the chief cupbearer, he's the one who oversees the staff that attends to Pharaoh's every need. He's the one responsible for taste testing and making sure that all the food and drink is safe, that nobody's trying to poison the king. So these were both highly trusted officials. They had important positions. They knew all the dirty little secrets of the kingdom, all the inner workings of the palace. They were entrusted with the king's very life. Now, what did they do to earn this stay in Potiphar's prison? Well, we don't know. Maybe Pharaoh was having a bad day. You know, maybe they looked at him the wrong way. Maybe they were just as innocent as Joseph. We don't know. But what we do know was that God was working behind the scenes, orchestrating everything so that Joseph was now looking after the two men who had the king's ear. God was putting all the pieces into place for his master plan for Joseph's life. And Joseph was looking for the next right thing that God would have him to do. 
which would involve him using his special gift of dream interpretation. Now, verses 6 and 8 give us some great insight into Joseph's character. He was both humble and attentive. You know, Joseph was not so preoccupied with his own horrible situation that he was not aware of the needs of the people around him. He noticed that these two men were dejected. He had compassion and care for their situation. He was attentive to the needs of those around him and eager to help. And he was humble enough when he did help to give all the glory to God. What a lesson for us. I mean, how often are we guilty of being so focused on our problems, we're complaining, we're bemoaning our lot in life, that we lose our perspective. We fail to see the very real hurts and needs of the people around us. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And Paul goes on to liken that to having the very attitude, the very mind of Christ. And certainly we see here that Joseph had that kind of Christ-like attitude, looking after the needs of his fellow prisoners rather than just being consumed with his own grief. And the way that Joseph helped them was, again, through his ability to interpret dreams, which was a highly sought-after and respected skill in ancient Egypt. So the ability to interpret dreams would really get people's attention in that culture. So it's fascinating that Joseph then would go out of his way to let them know, I'm not worthy of any praise that you might offer. Whatever I'm going to tell you, it comes from God, and the glory and the credit goes to God. And he's going to do this again later, even more forcefully, when he's standing in front of Pharaoh himself. Bill Black, the director of Smoky Mountain Resort Ministries, has two phrases that he often says, and both of which he learned from his mentors. One phrase says, it does not matter who gets the credit as long as the work gets done. And the other one, do what's right and don't tell anybody. Jesus put it this way, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. God blesses us with gifts and talents and resources and opportunities that we can use to help others and to give Him glory. And we can either use them as God wants, we can neglect them, or we can misuse them for our own purpose and glory. It's our choice. But God gives us these things to help us to do the next right thing. And we can use them to help turn bad situations into good ones. See, all of that was Joseph's philosophy. And it really should be our philosophy as well. That is how we can excel at doing good even when we're in those twists and turns and ups and downs of life. Now, there's a lot of interesting stuff here in these two men's dreams. Let's read through this real quickly uh, here in chapter 40, beginning in verse 9. So the chief bearer told Joseph his dream. And he said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. Three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. 
and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head there were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. These guys must have had some strange things to eat before they went to bed that night. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree. But the, uh, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of the officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So Joseph, there's some interesting kind of puns here. It's a, it's a, it's a little dark, but the chief cupbearer would have his head lifted up, which meant that he would be pardoned and restored to his rightful position. But the poor old baker, he'd have his head lifted right off and then would have his body impaled on a pole. Uh, so certainly not what he wanted to hear, but both of Joseph's interpretations came true. Now Joseph had to be encouraged and affirmed to know that God was with him and had used him in prison. But man, he must have been discouraged that God didn't rescue him from prison. The cupbearer meant well, I'm sure, but as people often do, he got back to his life, things were going well, and he forgot all about his promises to Joseph. That brings me to two next right things we need to remember in this part of Joseph's story. The first is don't be afraid to seek help from those God brings into your path. Yes, Joseph trusted God, but he asked these men to remember him, or he asked the cupbearer to remember him when he gets restored uh, to his position in Pharaoh's court. Listen, there's nothing wrong with seeking help from other people as long as we remember that the ultimate help comes from God. As long as we give Him the thanks, we give Him the glory, He is the ultimate source of our help. It's like the story I'm sure you've heard of the man, there's a flood and the waters have come up to his porch and a boat comes by and says, get in, I'm going to rescue you. And he says, no, no, I'm, I'm good, the Lord's going to take care of me. Well, the water gets up a little bit higher and now he's kind of up on the second floor leaning out the window and another boat comes by and says, hop in. He says, nope. The Lord's going to take care of me. And then he ends up on the roof of the house and the flood is right up to the roof and a helicopter comes by and lowers down a rope, says, climb up, we're going to rescue you. This is the last chance. He says, nope, the Lord's going to take care of me. Well, the next thing he knew, he was standing in heaven before God. And he said, Lord, I thought you were going to take care of me. And God said, well, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. There's nothing wrong with seeking help from the people and the resources God puts in front of you. But secondly, we need to remember not to forget the promises we made in prison when we end back up in the palace. Don't forget that. Don't forget when all this pandemic is over. Don't forget the things God has taught you. Don't forget 
the changes that you have made in your life, the new habits you've formed, the old patterns that you've laid aside, when life does return to normal, it, it's like 9-11. You remember when that happened and people flooded the churches to worship, to pray, and then that all kind of faded away. We need to not forget the promises made in prison when we end back up in the palace. But Joseph was left to wait again for two years. But in all of his waiting for God's perfect timing, Joseph never gave up hope. He always expected that God was at work. And that's the third thing that God equips us to do, to expect God to work. Let's look at chapter 41, verses 1 through 8. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream, and he was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Now, cattle and grain for Egypt would have been two of their greatest economic assets. I mean, think for us today, it'd be oil and the stock market, right? I mean, and and we see the effects that can have on everybody when those things aren't doing as well as we want them to do. So, of course, Pharaoh is troubled by this. He goes to his soothsayers, and these pagan soothsayers can't help him. Why? Because these dreams were given to Pharaoh by God. And only someone with the Spirit of God can discern the mind of God. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2.11. He says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Enter Joseph in verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with the servant, and he imprisoned me, and the chief baker in the house, and the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night. Each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And the things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. At just the right time, God prods the cupbearer's memory. This is all in God's timing, all in God's plan. That's another lesson for us when it comes to doing the next right thing. Wait on God's timing. Don't despair. The Lord has not forgotten you. God is not slow in fulfilling His promises. It's just that His timing is different from ours. But we can trust that whatever work God has begun in you, as Paul wrote, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So as we said last week, we need to trust God's heart, trust God's hand, trust God's timing as we wait in eager expectation for God to work. So let's pick it up in verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. And he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to the Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And so then Pharaoh proceeds to tell Joseph the dream. And if you jump on down to verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten. And the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Part of being expectant for God to work means that we have to be ready for God to move when He moves. Joseph had waited faithfully and patiently for two years, but when the fullness of time came, it came in rapid fire. I mean, just out of nowhere, Joseph all of a sudden is standing before Pharaoh. He had to be ready to shave his beard, to wash up, to change his clothes. (laughs) Joseph had to be ready once again to lay aside his garments. You know, he'd been stripped of his robe of favoritism, his coat of responsibility, but now he willingly lays aside his prison garb so that he can be prepared to put on the robes of royal responsibility. And still we see in verse 16 the humility of Joseph. He continues to make sure that the spotlight is on the Lord. He didn't use his gifts as a bargaining chip. He didn't say, you're right, Pharaoh, I can interpret your dreams, but you've got to tell me, you know, let me tell you what it's worth. You've got you to pay up first. He didn't do that. He freely offered a word from the Lord with no strings attached. But he also wasn't afraid to speak truthfully, just as he did with the baker. He wasn't afraid to say what God laid on his heart, regardless of how it might be received. He spoke the truth in love always and without apology. And he makes it clear to Pharaoh that God is the one who has revealed his plans to him. God is behind this. God is at work. God is about to do something unimaginable. Again, I cannot help but think about our own circumstances, right? We had so many years of good economic growth and low unemployment, and suddenly it was swallowed up by this pandemic. I wonder what God's going to do through this. I wonder how God is going to use this moment in history to further His kingdom purposes, don't you? I'm still praying and looking and waiting to see what is God up to. But let's continue here in verse 33. And now Pharaoh, uh, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. This is Joseph still speaking. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country 
to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So God has given Joseph this unique moment to use his gifts. And I don't just mean the gift of dream interpretation he received as a boy. I mean also these gifts that God has been developing in Joseph these last 13 years. The gifts of management. The gifts of leadership. The gifts of administration. And so Joseph saw this open door for what it was, and he walked through it with boldness. It took courage. It took faith in the providential presence of God for Joseph to make the leap from interpreting Pharaoh's dreams to advising him in policy-making decisions. Right? I mean, basically, Joseph starts offering unsolicited political advice to Pharaoh. And in verse 37, it pays off. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph was the man for the job. Because he was loyal in his duty as a son and then as a slave. Because he was strong in the face of temptation and faithfully waited while he was in prison. Now Joseph wears the robes of royal responsibility. Pharaoh gave him the signet ring and the chain to symbolize his authority as the second in command in all of Egypt. Look at verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger, dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephenath, Paneah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Pharaoh not only gave him the signs and the symbols of his authority, he gave him a new name, an Egyptian name. He gave him a new wife and family, an Egyptian wife. He put upon him these robes that represented this great responsibility. You know, it's almost as if God was restoring to Joseph everything that had been stripped away from him. His robes, his responsibilities, his family, his name, his favor. All of that has been restored to Joseph. And this fresh start, this moment of restoration and redemption wasn't lost on Joseph. He understood that to receive God's blessing comes with that the responsibility to extend that blessing to others. And in that way, God had also empowered Joseph to extend God's grace. Let's read the rest of the chapter here. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence, traveled throughout Egypt. And during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. 
Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but the whole, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food, and then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. By God's grace, Joseph was able to wipe away all the bad memories and the pain of his past. And that freed him up to extend God's blessings not only to Egypt, but to all the world. It's a powerful Beautiful thing. When we can come through life's ups and downs and twists and turns and emerge on the other side with the attitude of Joseph. He laid his past hurts to rest. He rejoiced in his present blessings. As Paul would later write, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That was Joseph's attitude. And there's a powerful truth about how we can do this, how we can extend God's grace. And we find that powerful truth in the names of Joseph's two sons. Manasseh means one who forgets. Joseph explained that in verse 51. I have to imagine that Joseph had plenty of time walking that road to Egypt. He had plenty of time while he was a slave in Potiphar's household, while he was languishing in prison. He had lots of time to come to terms with how he had been mistreated. And we, we see a glimpse of how Joseph had chosen to forget. And listen, that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not a justifying of another person's actions. It's not excusing them. Forgiveness is a choice to put it behind you, to lay it down to carry it with you no longer, to not let it weigh you down anymore. It's a choice. And we see Joseph has made this choice. Look with me back at chapter 40, verses 14 and 15. When he's talking to the chief cupbearer, he says, But when all this goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Notice that he doesn't speak badly of his family. He doesn't mention Potiphar or Potiphar's wife. He's not playing a woe is me, trying to garner sympathy, nor is he trying to place blame on anyone else. Joseph, I believe, had already determined in his heart that whatever other people had meant for evil, God was somehow going to use for good. Now, the name Ephraim means twice fruitful. And again, Joseph explains that in verse 52. So here's the lesson of these two names, forgetfulness and fruitfulness. If we carry bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts, if we allow ourselves to be weighed down by guilt and regret, we'll never be fruitful. 
We cannot be spiritually fruitful unless we're willing to forget our past. That's what Paul said. We have to forget what is behind. And we have to press onward toward what is ahead, that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Like Joseph, we need to take off our prison garb and put on the new royal robes of righteousness. We need to lay aside the hurt, guilt, shame, and anger and put on the virtue of love. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Paul uses a similar analogy in Colossians chapter 3. And then in verse 14 he says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's exactly what we're going to see Joseph do in the coming weeks. The end of this chapter 41, the stage is set for the greatest drama of all, the reuniting of Joseph and his brothers when Joseph is going to come face-to-face with this past that he's forgotten. Can Joseph be restored to his brothers? Will he be able to maintain that spirit of forgiveness and put on love? And is that love powerful enough to bind these brothers together in perfect unity? Tune in next week to find out, right? And in the meantime, what is the next right thing God would have you to do? You may not be in the same situation as Joseph is, obviously. But no matter what our station in life, you know what some of the next right things are that we can do? We can trust God's providential presence. We can be responsible in our work. We can prove ourselves trustworthy, working hard, not for our boss, but for the Lord. We work for His glory. We can be kind and compassionate and pay attention to the needs of the people around us. Who has God brought into your path? that He wants you to attend to. We can use our gifts to serve others according to their needs and for the glory of God. We can speak the truth in love even when that truth is unwelcome or unpleasant. And we can seek help from those that God has placed around us to look at them as resources that God has put in our path. I don't know what God is saying to you today through this message. But whatever it is, I pray that you'll do the next right thing that you'll heed it, that you'll listen and obey to whatever God is speaking to you. And I would love to hear from you what that is. I would love it if you would make a comment or reach out to us at First Baptist Church and say, David, here's what God's doing in my life. David, can you pray for me as God is speaking to me about this? I would love to talk with you. Maybe you need some counsel. We're available. And we ask you to give us a call here at First Baptist Church. Email us, leave us a comment. Let us know how we can pray for you and help you. Maybe God has laid on your heart that you, as a Christian, need to be baptized. We're going to have a baptism Sunday this summer. And we're going to baptize those who have made a profession of faith in Christ, but have never walked through those waters of a baptistry. If that's you, contact us and let us know. Maybe you are a baptized believer, but your membership is with another church, and you believe that First Baptist Thompson is where God is leading you. That's the next right thing for you is to move your membership to unite with our church family. Again, reach out to us and let us know. But the most important next right thing that anybody can ever do is to turn from their sin and to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
You cannot extend God's grace to others until you've received God's grace yourself. And you can expect that God is at work in your life right now. And He's drawing you to Himself. He wants you to confess and repent of your sins. He wants you to put your trust in His Son to give you eternal life, to give you that fresh start that Joseph got. If that's you, I pray you would ask the Lord today to forgive you of your sins, to come to dwell in you by His Holy Spirit and to make you His son or daughter. Again, if you have a question about that or if you've made that decision, I hope you'll reach out to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this amazing story, for all that it has to teach us about where we are in our life today. Lord, it's amazing how similar our lives can be to the life of Joseph who lived so many thousands of years ago in a very distant culture. Lord, that's the power of your word. It is eternally relevant. And I pray that your word would not return to you void, but your word today would go out and accomplish all that you would have it to accomplish. I pray, God, you would work in the lives and the hearts and minds of those who are listening and draw them to yourself. Help us all to do the next right thing for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.